0: Rollercoaster prices, supply chain glitches, political unease. They do their best to wreck my business plans. With so many unknowns, how do I know I'm making the right decisions? Aeon helps me stay on top of things. They have expert points of view on volatility from around the world, paired with local insight that helps me get back on solid ground. Better decisions. Aeon. Impact of Influence, The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. truth. Hello, friend. Welcome back. So grateful that you're here. Always love that you spend time with me, Matt Harris, and Seton Tucker. And you can reach out to us at murdochpodcast.com. Best place, probably, is the Murdoch Podcast Facebook page, and then directly to me at mattharrispodcast at gmail.com. Hello, Seton. Hello. So, there's plenty to go through in this episode that affect the timeline and some of the things that came up during this hearing. And again, if you did not catch last episode, there were numerous motions that Alex' attorneys filed from gunshot residue questions to geofencing questions to forensic analysis of multiple celloph- uh, cell phones autopsy files and notes blood stain analysis all these things that they wanted and when they were presenting their case in front of the judge evidence or potential evidence was revealed the basic ruling though by judge Newman was what Let's see
1: Well judge Newman did give the defense a few of the things they wanted He gave them the power to subpoena some witnesses with the judge's approval, but he didn't give them the full authority to subpoena multiple witnesses. He did order the prosecution to give some specifics on the time of the killings.
0: And that was one of the motions. The motion was to stricken the alibi defense that was filed on October 18th uh, by the defense because, as John Snyder explained to us, the alibi defense is we got to know when the murder was because we... Can't say where we were but we don't know when it was. And it was confusing. And we'll go through the timeline in a minute. But originally, or we know that Paul Murdoch's death certificate says 9 o'clock. And then we heard that it was between 9 and 9.30. We'll get into more details on that. But it is interesting that Newman said, hey, get us a time of the murders. We need to know this. So that's important.
1: Right. And so we actually put out on our website, Murdoch Podcast, a kind of new timeline based on some of the things that we heard on the hearing and also a report that came out from Fitz News
0: before we hit that timeline information, just a couple of other notes that I took during the hearing. One thing was it was crazy to hear it's 90 days till trial. I I know that if I had done the math, but just to hear it as opposed to January, whatever, 90 days is not a long time. And
1: I recently read somewhere that usually from when someone's indicted, it's over a year before they're tried.
0: Yes, John mentioned that, John Slater in one of our episodes. Uh, Newman, one of the things that he denied in the motions, was he says that the state is making a good faith effort. The defense says they're just dumping all this cell phone data on them, like loads and loads and loads, and it's too much, and it's too hard to go through it. But Newman said it's all in good faith. They're trying to get it to you as quickly as they can. And he said also that he did, Newman did not compel the state to test the clothes of the victims, Maggie and Paul, Uh, he said, that's kind of up to them what they want to do. I'm not going to compel them to do it. And the assistant AG Creighton Waters just said what we were all thinking that a lot of this pontificating by Harpootlian, but I would say by him as well, was to put certain ideas in potential jurors' minds. I was on Court TV, uh, with, on, on, with Vinny and Joe McCullough, who's the attorney for Connor Cook. And, uh, we were talking about the polygraph of Cousin Eddie and Vinnie, who's the host, said, well, at least he didn't say it in front of the jury. And we're like, no, he kind of did, because this <laughs> is all of Colleton County's paying attention to every single thing that's said. Now let's go to the timeline, which is getting really interesting.
1: Yes, because we've learned a couple of things at the hearing, and there were also some reports that came out from Fitz News. So I think it's a good time to revisit it and Actually, let's start with Sunset. Sunset was at 8.31 p.m. in Islandton that night. And at the hearing, we learned some more information about this video. Dick Harpootlian, in his press conference, had referenced this video taken from Paul's cell phone, which portrayed a friendly conversation between Maggie and Paul.
0: Remember, there was a rumor that it was an argument on yes. that cell phone.
1: But Harpootlian described it as convivial. Friendly: At the hearing, we hear from Waters, and he puts a timestamp on this video at 8:44 pm. And Waters says that despite previous denials, there is video evidence of Alec present at the scene with Maggie and Paul not long before their phones ceased any meaningful activity.
0: Okay, there's a few things we should spitball about here and kind of fill people in, not on the actual timeline that we have now, but how things have changed. For one thing, I always parse words that these attorneys do, and I, th- I think, okay, what did he say? What did he exactly mean? And he said, not long before their phones ceased at 844. Now, if you if you don't really pick up on the wording, you would think, okay, 844, the phones are done. But he said, not long. He gives himself some a window there, right? That makes sense to me that not long can mean 15 minutes. We don't know. See? Now, the other question is, and, and and we're talking this through as we're recording this. The idea that Alec was at Moselle with Maggie and Paul. The big question is, what did he tell law enforcement? And we don't know what he said to them. What we know is the Wall Street Journal article.
1: That was from September of 2021. And in that article, they referenced that Alec had... Bennett Moselle took a nap and never saw Maggie and Paul.
0: And that's huge. If he said to law enforcement, the day of the murder, the day whenever he was interviewed, I never saw them. That's a blatant lie. We don't know for sure that he said that. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the
1: first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her
0: name, Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the I. Elizabeth the I, the podcast,
1: wherever you listen.
0: Secondly, the original kind of statement interview by, I think it was Griffin, said that Alec was at his mom's house from 9 to 9.30. And we know it's a 15 to 20 minute drive from Moselle. Yes. So he would have had to leave left uh, Moselle eight forty 840, eight forty five. He was still there at eight forty four, but we're we'll going to find out about the car thing in a second. He could technically left at eight forty five and made it over there. However, dun, dong dong. So at
1: the hearing, Creighton Water says Alex' car fires up and drives over to Almeida. Almeida is where his parents live. And
0: That's based on the records of the car, I assume, right?
1: I would I think so. If he's saying that very specific 906 time, you would think that would have to be from the car's computer.
0: And at 10.07, the 911 call comes in. And if you are reading some of the headlines, they're very misleading. Fox News had a headline that said, Alec Murdoch 911 call came an hour after he arrived at a property where son, wife were found dead. Well, that is not what Assistant AG Waters said. He said the car fired up. As in he left.
1: Yeah, it says fired up and drives over to Almeida.
0: So it's not he arrived there and didn't call nine one. So if he left to go to Alameda at 9.06, he's there by somewhere around 9.26, maybe earlier. So that still throws off the original attorney statement of him being there 9 to 9.30. And we
1: also have what the state paper reported, this whole alibi was that Alec was talking to a person named Chris Wilson on his way to Almeida and on his way home. And we've had a lot of questions on our Facebook page about who Chris Wilson is. Chris Wilson is a longtime friend of Alec Murdoch's. He's also an attorney in Bamberg.
0: And he reached out to him twice on the way there and twice on the way back. That was one of the biggest things was this. He fired up his car at 9.06 thing. That is just messes with everything that we thought we knew. And again, what Waters and Harpootlian say during motions doesn't even have to come up in the actual trial. They don't have to prove anything right now. They can just say they have this stuff. Keep that in mind.
1: Yes. But we also had some reports from Fitz News about what possibly happened when Alec got to Almeida. So Matt, what did this Fitz News report say?
0: This news said, uh, according to the sources, a witness for the state observed Murdoch engaging in some suspicious activity during his brief visit to Almeda in the immediate aftermath of the murders. According to their sources, this witness, quote, saw Alec hide something wrapped in a blue tarp behind his parents, in parentheses, house. End quote. Upon arriving at Moselle, another source referred to the blue tarp as a, quote, rain slicker or rain jet. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up. Some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com today. Back it, but did confirm it was blue. Also, they said the blue item had GSR, gunshot residue on it. That implies a lot of things without actually proving anything, but the implication is that Alec was wearing a rain slicker and took it to his parents' house to perhaps hide it. That is, that is what you're implying by that, right? That's what I, I take from it.
1: That's what I would take from it as well. So I have spoken to a reliable source who is very close to the investigation whom I trust. And this person told me that the part of the timeline stating that something was taken to Almeida or hidden is not true. There was a blue raincoat that was removed from the house and it hasn't been determined who that coat belongs to.
0: So my takeaways after hearing what you said your source told you is that Number one, it wasn't hidden. Number two, we don't know if it's Alex or not Alex. Yes. Okay. Let's move to the parts of the hearing that had to deal with cousin Eddie Smith. What stood out to you?
1: A few things. The first thing is that he took this said polygraph test as a condition of a proffer, which we had talked about in our last episode, but now we actually have confirmation that they're was sort of some sort of proffer offered.
0: And it was really astute of John Snyder to point out that it's possible that the polygraph was insisted upon by cousin Eddie's attorneys. He said that they may have said to, to law enforcement or the AG's office, he's going to tell you a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff's going to be seen crazy. So I want him to take a polygraph to show you that he's giving you everything. And we don't know yet who officially gave Eddie the polygraph. Was it his attorneys insisted on it, or was it law enforcement or the AG's office? Also, that ties in with cousin Eddie's attorney spoke up.
1: Yes, she gave several interviews after the hearing, and she says that she emphatically denies that Eddie was involved and that they welcome DNA testing to be compared to evidence collected from the crime scene.
0: And that would be victims' clothes and also this word of Maggie having some DNA under her fingernails. Yes. Now, the DNA under Maggie's fingernails, we don't know how much it is. We do not know if it's even been tested. We know none of the victim's clothes were tested. At least that's what the defense is saying. And again, as I said earlier, Judge Newman did not compel them to test it, but Dick Harpudlian and Jim Griffin are obviously trying to point the finger at Eddie for at least some reasonable doubt or something. But as of this point, we have zero evidence that Eddie's involved.
1: Sounds like there's a lot of evidence, and this is going to be an expensive trial to defend. So we have a request from Alec Murdoch to use the funds from his 401k to pay for his defense. And we've discussed this previously. His funds have been frozen because of all of this litigation that he's involved in.
0: ELEC's attorneys argue that it's the Sixth Amendment right for the trials so he has to have legal fees. And Mark Tinsley, Beach's attorney, said he did not intend to file an op- opposition to this. The quote is, I'm not opposing that. We would not be able to attach those funds after we get a verdict. So we are in agreement for ELEC to access those funds as long as all the costs associated with that are also paid from the 401k funds. Additionally, by allowing the liquidation of the account, the balance of the funds will go to the receivership to be available to my clients. That means I assume they're going to cash out the four hundred one k. Or pooling uses what he wants, but also it's good for Tinsley because if there's any left over, it goes into a potential pile for victims to get.
1: The numbers that have been reported is six hundred thousand dollars for legal expenses, and three hundred thousand reserved for current or future. Creditors,
0: or lawsuits, or whatever it may be, and I'm also surprised that it's only nine hundred thousand. Am I the only one surprised by that?
1: I was surprised. If this,
0: I mean, that's a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's most people don't have that much. But this guy, uh, powerful legal family, supposedly has all this money and has made a ton of money. It surprised me that it was only nine hundred thousand. What do you think? What do you-
1: it did seem low to me as well, but it also seems that a lot of his money was tied up in real estate.
0: That's true, and. We don't know where a lot of the money might be. He might not have been putting his ill-gotten gains into his 401k. It's a
1: lot of unaccounted-for money.
0: Next, we move to a lawsuit that was filed, I think, October 7th on behalf of one of Murdoch's alleged victims, Mexican citizen Manuel Santos Cristiani, who named Murdoch, Alec, and his former law firm and two of its associates, and Russell Lafitte, as being responsible for not getting the settlement funds from a rollover crash that Santis Cristiani had suing the car maker and the tire company they say in the lawsuit that this guy didn't get his money what have we found out about that since then
1: so we have a response which was filed from the attorneys from PMPD where they say that Santis actually did get his money they say that he participated in a mediation he was aware of the settlement and that the funds were wired from Palmetto State Bank to a bank in Mexico.
0: And the countersuit uh, from Barnes and Crosby, who are the new attorneys that were named, wants this case dismissed with prejudice and wants the court to consider sanctions against Walters and Williams, the attorneys for Santis Cristiani. And that is pretty crazy because they are just straight up saying they had no knowledge of these crimes. They got the money. We don't know what they're talking about.
1: Well, there is $70,000, which was supposed to be held in escrow to pay MUSC, Medical University of South Carolina, for some outstanding medical bills. Mm -hmm. And it does look like that money was placed into this fake forge account. Um, But once PMPED discovered the discrepancy, they put the $70,000 back.
0: And they say that this guy was in on the. Settlement. He was there for the settlement. The $70,000 was supposed to go to the hospital, didn't go to the hospital.
1: Yes, he got his money, but the hospital didn't get their money, and that this man did participate in a mediation, which resulted in a settlement. But what is really weird is the name Blanca Simpson comes up. Blanca, we've talked about in a past episode, was a housekeeper who worked for— Maggie, mm-hmm. and she's mentioned in the jailhouse calls. It seems like Ellic is trying to get in touch with her for some reason. Her involvement seems to initially have been involved as some sort of interpreter for this man. Mm-hmm. And in May of 2022, Blanca actually becomes the power of attorney for Santos.
0: The rollover happened in the early 2000s, and she became power of attorney. Then it there's something seems off on that. To both of us. And also, I think that the fact that he was, Alec was saying her name in some of his jailhouse calls is kind of odd. And also, we have been wondering if Blanca was at Moselle at some point to make dinner that night. A lot of mentions. I'd love to talk to Blanca. I know. No kidding. There was
1: a special on CNN that featured many of the attorneys involved, as well as Stanny Smith. And she did an outstanding job. I thought she really put a great face to Stephen. And also, they're getting national attention to the 2015 death of Stephen Smith, which was ruled a hit and run. But there are a lot of questions surrounding that.
0: And one of the things that Sandy Smith mentioned on the CNN special was something that we had on an episode in September of 2021, I believe. It was about the Stephen Smith hit and run, and we said what, Seton? We said that Randy and Ellick showed up
1: at the scene after Stephen Smith's death. At
0: the at the scene of the hit and run, alleged hit and run. When we said that at the time, we got a lot of people giving us some hate. Yeah, we and got a lot of hate for that. A lot of heat, but it turns out that Sandy did say it, and that's where we got it from. And if you want to reach out to us, you can go to MurdochPodcast.com. Murdoch Podcast Facebook page or Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. We always are looking for feedback, ways to make the show better. Feel free and also rate this episode and give us a bunch of stars and share the episode. We'd appreciate that very much. We're always grateful for every listen. And we'll talk soon. Join Halataha
1: for actionable advice from the brightest minds in the world on the Young and Profiting Podcast. Author and academic Arthur Brooks on what success isn't.
0: The husband was confessing to his wife that he might as well be dead. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? I turn around to get a look, and it turns out to be one of the most famous men in the world. The world tells you that if you are profiting, money, power, pleasure, fame, you're going to be happy. And that's a bogus formula.
1: The Young and Profiting Podcast, wherever you listen. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money,